It's a number so huge, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. $139 billion. That's how much money extreme weather events are expected to cost our economy by the year 2050. That's almost $4,000 for every single Canadian. Droughts, floods and storms could cost Canada billions over the next few decades. The heat dome, uh, the drought conditions and the wildfires that we're seeing this summer. Heavy rain is falling again tonight. For the third time in a week, an atmospheric river is drenching southwestern B.C. After a summer of drought, the region now experiencing the wettest November it's ever seen. From newer phenomena like heat domes and atmospheric rivers, to the more familiar floods, fires, and droughts, the damaging effects of climate change are all around us, and the impact on our environment, our health, our businesses, and our very society is without a doubt one of the biggest challenges facing the world, and the global supply chain that connects it. Welcome back to Breaking Bottlenecks, a special insider's podcast series brought to you by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I'm your host, writer and historian Aaron Chapman. On this season finale episode, we're going to discuss the biggest bottlenecks of them all, climate change and its impact on operations in and around the Port of Vancouver. We'll hear from industry leaders who've responded to recent bouts of extreme weather and explore the thinking, systems and infrastructure we need for the future, whether it's a just-in-time or just-in-case situation. While the COVID-19 pandemic presented plenty of challenges to the global supply chain, the last few years have also seen a frightening rise in extreme weather events caused or exacerbated by climate change. Whether on sea or on land, the port and its partners have increasingly been forced to respond in real time to a series of disasters that are truly testing the resiliency of our supply chain. Here in BC, it's the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority's bold vision to make the Port of Vancouver the world's most sustainable port and getting there requires a holistic approach to managing and adapting to changing weather, reducing emissions, and investing in sustainable infrastructure and technology. It's all about bolstering our present and securing our future. But the port isn't the only player in the supply chain feeling that sense of urgency. It's the rail sector that's arguably borne the brunt of the climate-related impacts we've experienced here in BC. So I reached out to Chantal Depre, the Assistant Vice President of Sustainability at CN Rail, to hear about those struggles firsthand. Chantal, welcome to Breaking Bottlenecks. Hi, uh, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. Chantal, this is a critically important topic, so let's dive right in. How are extreme weather events affecting your operations? Wow, it's a big question. I mean, the topic of climate change, I think, is is bigger than a lot of people realize. And, you know, from a railroading perspective, it's kind of hitting us in a variety of ways. Certainly the physical impacts on our network. So just railroading is a 365, 24-7 outdoor sport, we like to call it. So you name it in terms of the impacts of climate change, we're feeling it across our whole entire rail network. And then, you know, also we operate a fleet of locomotives. We operate trucks and also vessels across the Great Lakes that burn diesel fuel. And so decarbonization has also been a big topic for our business. You know, we've been decoupling our growth from carbon emissions for the last 20 years, but we still have a lot more work to do. So very challenging, but also with a lot of innovation and people waking up, there's a lot to be excited about for the future as well. That's very true. 
I read recently that more than two-thirds of Canadians now consider climate change to be a major crisis. It's a far cry from how people used to feel. Have we finally turned a corner on public awareness of this issue? Yeah, great question. If, if I just think about our journey and, and even mine on this topic, climate change, you know, 10, 15, or even 20 years ago, when I kind of started talking about it and, and reorienting my role at CN, was, you know, was even debated. <laughs> or, and or something that was happening somewhere else and, and not in Canada. And I think the events of December or, or late November uh, last year, the events in BC really brought to life that, you know, climate change is here and it's also here in Canada. Uh, those events were dramatic, you know, cutting off railroads from the province of BC, as well as the Trans-Canada Highway. That connection to the Western Canadian ports is critical both for the goods that are exported out of Canada and all of the goods that are then imported and that we consume every day <laughs> in Canada. So uh, dramatic events uh, that impacted not only CN, but CP and the government of Canada in terms of the Trans-Canada Highway and the general population. So we're all aware that climate change is happening, but when dramatic events like that happen, it wakes us up in a different way. For sure, it's like an alarm clock and we just can't afford to keep hitting the snooze button. So aside from the storms you mentioned, which caused 58 outages along a 240-kilometer stretch of rail from Vancouver to Kamloops, can you talk about other climate impacts that are on your radar? Absolutely. I mean, sea level rise for us is a concern. Atmospheric river, obviously, with what happened in BC. High winds, believe it or not. Precipitation, spring melt impacts us in various locations across our country extreme cold. It takes longer for us for the braking system, which is an air system in the locomotive. So it takes longer to charge those brakes. Extreme heat can cause kinks, believe it or not, with expansion of the rail. There can be fires that impact our network as well that can happen. So our network spans from the Atlantic to the Pacific to the Gulf of Mexico. So I like to say, you name it in terms of climate impacts, it's probably happening somewhere along our network. We'll hear more from Chantal a little later, but CN certainly isn't the only company facing climate-related challenges. From drug-disrupting grain producers on the prairies to colder winters stymieing bulk exporters to maritime vessels being delayed by more powerful storms, players up and down the supply chain are being affected. And as we've talked about on this podcast before, what affects one of them tends to affect them all. You know, it's definitely a ripple effect. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the global supply chain is essentially a network of local nodes or hubs of intermodal transportation. So you may have a rail issue one day, you have flooding of a rail track that suspends your major rail line bringing cargo into port. You may have a hurricane in the Atlantic that delays the timing of an ocean vessel coming in. And that really does ripple all the way down the supply chain. That's Heather Wood, Director of Sustainability in North America for CMA CGM. With global warming, we've seen recent increases in weather-related disasters have reminded us that while the global supply chain is resilient and remains intact, fluidity and efficiency can suffer. We don't shut down, but we may need to shift things around. We may need to find another pathway to get there. And that's why it's really important that we collaborate as an industry and focus on that overall efficiency, you know, across nations to protect and ensure the resilience of the supply chain. 
It's the number one shipping company in the world when it comes to its investment in alternative non-diesel marine fuels. What we did in 2017, and our chairman did this, he made the very bold decision to to act. And what he did was he said, I'm going to invest in LNG as a marine fuel. Yes, it is. It is a fossil fuel. But the decision to move forward with that was really based on eliminating harmful emissions because you get a 90% reduction in your criteria pollutants, 90 to 98% reduction in criteria pollutants such as sulfur oxides, NOx, PM. Also with LNG, that started us on the road to decarbonization. So with LNG, there's a 20% reduction roughly in emissions of carbon. CMA-CGM is also in a bit of a unique spot because it's facing both environmental pressure and commercial pressure to improve sustainability. We hear from our customers wanting to be able to reduce their their carbon footprint and have their transportation be zero carbon. We obviously see it with our industry partners, other intermodal partners from the railroads and the trucking companies and looking at their own fuel transitions. I think we've all just started to recognize that one, there's not one silver bullet And two, there's not one person, one organization, one company that's going to find the solution. It's really going to take all of us to pull together to figure this out. You know, there are times when, as an industry, we're an incredibly competitive industry and competition is good. But in this particular case, it's going to be about collaboration. Aha, there's a word we've heard before. And of course, tackling a crisis this monumental does require collaboration, as well as flexibility, agility, and importantly, information, too. As I chatted about with Chantal earlier, public awareness of climate change has grown significantly, and people want clear commitments. But that new focus on the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit is a tricky balancing act. The first step for all players in the supply chain is minimizing emissions and environmental impact through innovation. To learn more about the strides being made on that front, I decided to pay another visit to my contacts down at the Port of Vancouver. Hi, I'm Ronan Chester. I'm the uh, Director of Climate Action and Sustainability Leadership with the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. And when I asked Ronan about the need for urgent innovation, he did not mince words. The time is now. Like The window to get Canada on track is, is closing, really. We need to be seeing the different systems, transportation systems, whatever they are, starting to get on track with those reductions, somewhere in line with 40% by 2030, 45% by 2030. Climate science has been relatively clear here in that we need to limit warming to 1.5 degrees to avoid catastrophic impacts of climate change. We know that ports and coastal cities are highly at risk from sea level rise and severe weather. So it's really important that we're thinking about how to put the uh, Vancouver Gateway on track to limit warming alongside Canada's climate commitments and make it more resilient to the future impacts that are coming from climate change. Now, we've talked about some of the port's environmental efforts on this podcast before in particular shore power. But Ronan also told me about LNG bunkering to reduce GHG emissions by more than 25%, a scrubber ban, and a host of supports for partners like terminal and truck operators who want to adopt low or zero emission technologies. He also pointed to one of the port's longest standing environmental commitments. The Eco Action Program is one that I think we're particularly proud of in that it's been there for a long time. Nowadays, I think there are probably about 70 ports globally that have ship incentive programs. But at the time when we brought it forward, it was really a new thing. And, you know, it's it's there to help give a discount to the cleanest, quietest ships. We have some changes coming forward for that program where we're going to deepen the discount, uh, really focus in 
on the ships that are using uh, alternative energy and underwater noise notations for the vessel. So really kind of leading edge stuff. And so I think that that's one thing that we're thankful about. We need to continue to get those programs to do work, but we do need to turn our minds more to this kind of new and emerging zero emission technology that's there. I mean, this gateway here is handling, I think it's 43% of Canada's trade outside of North America. We can get this gateway into a zero emission setup. And there are a lot of things we can do in the next several years. There are a lot of things that we must do in the next several years. And so we really want to remain focused on the fact that there are some significant investment gaps that need to be looked at and that they are around that clean technology and they're around that energy infrastructure. We can do that. I admire the optimism, but it's a mammoth task. So how exactly does Ronan see the Port of Vancouver making good on its vision to become the world's most sustainable port? Well, yeah, I mean, great question. It's certainly something that we're asking ourselves pretty much every other day here, trying to think about what is the best way for us to kind of catalyze and, and help deliver on that vision. Uh, I think there's quite a bit for us to explore because there are a number of different low carbon technologies that are starting to become available for port applications, whether we're looking at battery electric uh, container trucks, hydrogen fuel cell container trucks, terminal tractors. And as those technologies become available in the market, it's really the right time for us to be working with our partners to try to get that technology into the hands of the industry. We know there's a huge investment gap there in terms of the cost of new equipment. Uh, this you know, low carbon pathway is not a free one. And so it really comes back to that question, how do we bring the right partners to the table to help to kind of make that investment uh, jump possible? How do we get the demonstration, the testing of these technologies out in the actual operational environment so that they can either be proven to be perfect uh, or near ready or often just iteration? What's wrong? What needs to be improved? And that's really important to the cycle as well. Well, funny that you should ask about testing technologies in the real world, because that's exactly what the folks back at CMA-CGM are doing on two fronts. Heather Wood tells me they're experimenting with new fuel alternatives and new innovations in vessel design to improve the sustainability of travel. Absolutely. As a marine fuel, we are exploring, you know, a number of things. Green ammonia, hydrogen is another possibility. I mentioned earlier about transitioning from LNG to renewable LNG. What I didn't mention was the next step, which is the third phase, is a synthetic LNG, you know, non-fossil, and would get you to a 90 to 95% reduction in carbon. We have a strategic partnership also with the Energy Observer, and I encourage all of your listeners to, to Google energyobserver.org. But that is a uh, 60, 65 foot, I believe, catamaran that is 100% sustainably powered. There are uh, solar panels that power the batteries. The batteries perform the electrolysis on the seawater and separate the hydrogen and store the hydrogen in a fuel cell in each pontoon. It also has a sail wing, so it's testing out various types of technologies that we hope someday to be able to transition into a cargo ship, container ship. Oh, that's exciting to hear. So is the sail wing designed to capture wind or solar energy? It actually does both, I think. It almost looks like a really wide mast, uh, almost a rectangular sort of sail, but it's not fabric. There's a certain poetry to the fact that one of the most cutting-edge vessels on Earth looks like a sailing ship of old. <laughs> there is. <laughs> All kidding aside, there's no time for nostalgia. Every player along the chain has to keep their eyes fixed firmly on the future if we're going to mitigate the worst impacts of climate change. And that's why back at CN Rail, Chantal Dupre says they've been on a forward-looking mission for a long time now. 
The good news is we've been on this journey for a good 20 years. And it started with understanding our impact, understanding our carbon footprint. A big part of the journey for us on the whole topic of ESG, including climate, is what you don't measure does not get managed. And from that perspective, we've aligned our climate disclosures to the TCFD, which is the task force on climate-related disclosures, looking into the future and doing forward-looking, actually, reporting, which is much different from what companies traditionally do. Annual reporting or financial reporting is backward-looking reporting. So climate scenario analysis really focuses us to look at, okay, if the world keeps warming, then what does that mean for our network? And we run various scenarios to understand where would we experience more flooding in the future, for example, or where might we experience more precipitation so that we're able to understand where our network might be vulnerable and then embed some planning into that and link that back into our strategic and capital planning that we do on an annual basis. In climate terms, that's called adaptation. And it's critical if companies want to keep doing business in a warming world. But there's also a second equally important component of any climate strategy, mitigation or reducing emissions in the first place. At CN, we've really been focused on efficiency. We've implemented scheduled railroading, um, which is a way of operating the railroad that's based and founded on efficiency. And we do that through the locomotives that we buy. So the locomotives that we buy today are a lot more fuel efficient than the locomotives of the past. We do that through operating practices like precision scheduled railroading. I like to say, you know, you can have a really fuel efficient car, but it matters how you drive it. The same thing with a train and a locomotive. So there's also technologies that we can add on to some of our older locomotives that stop them from idling, for example. So we don't idle, we conserve fuel. And then beyond 2030, and we're already on that today, we're testing battery electric locomotives. We know that we're going to need alternative propulsion to get us to net zero. And quite frankly, you know, we're observing the whole sector around the world. So we really have a lens on what's happening globally. We're not sure really what the technology of the future is going to be, but we want to be in that game. We want to help define the future of our business and be leading in terms of decarbonizing our sector. You are listening to Breaking Bottlenecks Season 2, The Resilient Port, a special insider's podcast series brought to you by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I'm your host, Aaron Chapman. It's no secret that the global supply chain has been severely tested over the past few years, but we're shining a spotlight on the ingenuity, agility, and yes, resilience displayed by Canada's largest port and its partners in the face of that incredible adversity. Check out the show notes to learn more about any of the guests featured in this episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Today we're talking about climate change and sustainability and how the Port of Vancouver must transition to a zero emissions economy to enable trade growth and fulfill its mission of ensuring long-term prosperity for Canadians. We've already heard how innovation, adaptation, and mitigation will get us part of the way towards that goal, but there are a few other terms that can't be left out of this conversation. One of them, according to the Port's Royal Chester, is visibility. Our ability to forecast, predict when severe weather is coming, what it's going to do, and the ability to improve our coordination, our response has to become the other part of the resiliency story. I think there's a lot of work that's even been captured in this podcast series around supply chain visibility, 
the role that Port Authority can play in providing greater access and clarity to data that customers in the value chain can use to make more informed strategic decisions. Well, very same thing applies here. When we get or anticipate that impacts are coming, there's a period of time when customers can at least start to consider how they might adjust their business decisions in light of that. And the ability, I think, to make decisions like that in advance a bit, a little bit more proactively can make a big difference in terms of, I think, the impact on their business and their bottom line. So certainly the improved coordination, collaboration around prediction and response has got to be a, a muscle that we continue to grow. And I think that supply chain visibility work has an important role to play here in terms of giving you know the value chain access to better data so that they can respond in the right ways. The port also has sound environmental social governance to guide its development with clear objectives around energy use, waste, pollution, resource conservation, and the treatment of animals. And that last point is also a big focus for the folks at CMACGM. Heather Wood says they've recently deployed a pair of boys off the East Coast to learn more about the impact of shipping on marine life. The right whale, the North Atlantic right whale, there are only 350 left in the world's ocean today. So highly endangered, and they migrate seasonally from Canada and New England's main area down to the waters off of Savannah. And as you can imagine, that is in direct intersection with vessels transiting the Atlantic and coming into East Coast ports. And so we felt that this was a strategic investment as stewards of the sea to put these buoys in place. And so we're, we're very, very proud of that effort. It really boils down to values. And those values dictate not only how the port and its partners interact with their neighbors in the animal kingdom, but also their human neighbors. As we've talked about back in season one of this podcast, community support is super important. Support grapples not only with climate change, but other issues like land use as well. One of the reasons why we are concerned around the energy infrastructure is that we know it's essential and that delivering that kind of energy infrastructure in the lower mainland is going to be a particular challenge. We know that the cost of industrial land, the availability of industrial land, the time it can take to plan, design, and deliver infrastructure projects can be really challenging and difficult. And I think that that, in many ways, will dictate the pace of change that we can see in this energy transition. So what does the future look like for sustainable port development? Recent storm damage to Vancouver's iconic seawall is just the first glimpse at what rising tides and changing weather patterns will mean for the city's waterfront. For the port and its customers, those impacts will be felt not only where land meets sea, but all along the supply chain. It's truly an unprecedented challenge. But Heather Wood is feeling hopeful about our prospects. I'm very optimistic. There is a lot of energy and a lot of focus. I'm very proud to be part of an organization like the CMA CGM group that has a true focus on uh, stewardship. You know, our three pillars of sustainability are acting for people, acting for planet, and acting for fair trade. We want to take bold action ourselves, but we want to encourage others and influence others to take similar bold action. Because only in working together are we going to be able to achieve these goals for net zero, or even maybe potentially zero someday for future generations. Back at CN Rail, Chantal Dupre says she's also feeling optimistic about the future. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't do this job if I wasn't hopeful. I believe in the, the, the best in humanity and in the best of our capabilities and the capabilities of our leaders. I see a lot of people waking up and rising to this challenge. 
we do have a lot of work to do in a short amount of time to re- if we really want to not get into the really disastrous or, or, or even worse kind of scenarios that could happen. But I see innovation and exciting news on this topic every day as part of my job. I try to feed myself on most days on, on the good stuff and, and be focused on the solution rather than the problem. And finally, back at the Port of Vancouver, Ronan Chester is also focused on the positive, saying the extreme weather we've already witnessed can serve as a real catalyst for change. The impacts can help serve as an important reminder and an accelerator of our collaboration and the alignment of the will that's needed in order to respond to this. And so it can be, I guess, constructive if we respond to it in the right way. And I think that's really where the time is now for us to reflect and understand what this means to us, why it's important, and to see that really, you know, in a lot of ways, I guess from my perspective, investing in zero emission in the Port of Vancouver is really kind of a logical, good decision for everyone because it's, you know, investing in the resilience, it's reinvesting in that economic prosperity that it delivers, it's investing in reducing the health impacts from from diesel engines and from heavy-duty transportation. So if we can respond to this in the right way, if we can use it to really coalesce kind of our, our will and our alignment, then, then this is a good thing. It may be somewhat counterintuitive to call all the climate-related impacts we've endured here in BC a good thing. But ultimately, Ronan is right, because if nothing else, the storms, the smoke, the fires, and the flooding have people talking. And as noted climate scientist and communicator Catherine Hayhoe says, the number one thing we can all do about climate change is talk about it. I'm Aaron Chapman, and this is Breaking Bottlenecks. I'd like to offer a huge thank you to my guests on this episode. Chantelle Dupre, the Assistant Vice President of Sustainability at CN Rail, Heather Wood, Director of Sustainability in North America for CMA, CGM, and Ronan Chester, the Director of Climate Action and Sustainability Leadership at the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. That's a wrap for Season 2. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also encourage you to check out Season 1, especially our episodes about land use, energy, and the environment, and neighbors working together, because they're relevant to the climate conversation as well. And to learn more about the port's operations, you can always visit portvancouver.com. Until we meet again... 